Does Jesus want everyone to be saved? Or to put it negatively, are there some that Jesus purposefully condemns? We read verse 11 and 12. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. If we take Jesus' words seriously, then this part of God's Word is one of the hardest you will ever read. Not because it's hard to understand. In fact, Jesus himself explains it to us. We don't often get that. But because it's a part of God's Word that puts us in our place. It requires us to recognise God is God. And we are not. God is sovereignly God. And we are not. And yet by the end of our time in this passage this morning, it's my hope and prayer that not only will it be a part of God's Word that greatly challenges us and makes us very uncomfortable, but that it will be a part of God's Word that brings us great comfort. And comfort particularly in that great task, the great commission Christians have of going out into the world and making disciples, in the task of evangelism, of sharing the gospel, that we will end today with comfort and with confidence that we will be able to preach the Word and sleep. Let's pray as we come to this. Father, we ask please this morning as we uh, read this part of Your Word that is is truly uh, makes us uncomfortable, that there is some truths here that we need to wrestle with. We ask please, please give us ears to hear. We ask that You would transform our hearts, that You would make us soil that can hear, and produce a crop. And we ask this for your glory. Amen. Now, uh, Mark 4 is where we're in, and we're going to stay in there. We're going to read through most of that again. So it will be handy for you to have your Bible open. And Jesus, really, in this section, teaches in parables. There's four or five, depending on how you want to split one of them up. And this first one, the parable of the sower, is absolutely key to understanding the age that we live in the world around us. In fact, this one is key to understanding the rest of the parables. We're going to spend the most of our time here. And so let's read the story again. Jesus begins to teach and as usual, the crowd forms uh, despite his best uh, efforts. And so verse 2, Jesus taught them many things by parables. Here's the story. He teaches them saying, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Very normal uh, agricultural scene very familiar to them and I think even us, removed as we are, most of us, from farming life, still a very familiar scene, we can picture it. Farmer goes out to sow his seed and as he's scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow but when the sun came out, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. 
Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. And still other seed fell on the good soil, and it came up and grew and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. And there's the teaching. Now, I want you for a moment to forget about the rest of the chapter, if you can do that. Just, just put aside for a moment that you have heard the explanation of this parable and just, what is it that Jesus is trying to teach? Remember, the crowd, all they got was the story. And Jesus finished by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And drop the mic, right? That's, that's it. That's all you get. That's the story. What are you supposed to make of it? Now, I was trying to work out, if I didn't have Jesus' explanation... Is Jesus telling us to buy real estate? I mean, uh, test the soil before you buy a farm? I, what? <clears throat> it comes down to what you think parables are about. You ever heard a definition of a parable? What is a parable? Anyone, anyone want to have a crack? What's a parable? Sorry? Yeah, go on. Go on, Robin. Yeah, there you go. You went to Sunday school. Very good. Right? An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's what we get told. And it's supposed to be a story that we're very familiar with to illustrate a truth, a reality about heaven. The thing that we understand is supposed to teach us about the thing that we don't understand. And yet Jesus told them this story that was familiar to them. Verse 10, what happened? Did they understand it when he was alone? The 12 and the others asked him about the parable. They didn't understand it. Parables, in fact, far from being this earthly story that we know that teaches us about a heavenly story, is in fact a moment of confrontation. It's, it, a parable can be a, a saying, a proverb, a riddle even. We saw one last week, chapter 3 and verse 23, we just look a few verses up, Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. And what did he say? How can Satan drive out Satan? It's not really a story, is it? It's just a question. It's just a confrontation to what they were saying. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. It's a proverb more than it is a story. I'll come over to chapter 7 and verse 14. Chapter 7, a few pages along. Verse 14... Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone. Understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Now, what would you call that? I'd I'd just call it a, a teaching, right? Jesus just taught them something. And yet, verse 17, after he had left the crowd and entered his house, the disciples asked him about this parable. It's a moment that causes you to stop and think, to reassess your bias and your prejudice. And in fact, even more than that, what the parables achieved were division. They were supposed to divide the hearers between the insiders who understood and the outsiders who did not. And even more than that, the parables drew the insiders further in and pushed the outsiders further and further away. 
Really, it's like any in-joke. How many references to chocos have we had already today? And you might well be sitting there going, I don't know what you're talking about. Why do you care so much about chocos? And it's just classic in-joke. The people who know what it's about, that the very first kids talk that Andrew White gave a few years ago now, he brought a box and it had a choco in it. And wasn't that hilarious? And somehow, three years later, we're still talking about it. But if you're an outsider, you're sitting there thinking, why are they talking about chocos? I want to tell you a joke. Uh, I really like this joke. Someone told it to me in the late 90s, uh, and they were very kind. After laughing at me, they then proceeded to explain it to me, and uh, I benefited from that, and so I then proceeded to tell it to lots of other people and just laugh and not explain. So I'm going to tell it to you now, and I appreciate very much the opportunity uh, to tell you this joke. A man went to the zoo, and uh, he saw a sign... And so some of you already know it, right? And some of you don't, which is even better. Right, he saw a sign, the sign said, beware the llama spits. So he was. Right, now that, that's the joke. That's it. That's the end of it. Beware the... <laughs> you're trying to... What? 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 Beware the... I didn't tell you it was a funny joke. But actually, it is a funny joke for me. Because the joke is watching your faces right now and seeing the people who know the joke, who are in on it, sitting there going, <laughs> I know, I know. And the people going, what? That's the parable. Those who are in the know are brought in even further. God's kingdom is revealed to them. Those who do not know are pushed further and further out. See, verse 11, he told them the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. Parables not to illuminate, but rather, verse 12, that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. And Jesus taught them this parable that they might be able to understand what was going on. Don't you understand this parable? How will you understand any parable? Why does the Word of God have this effect? Why is it that the Gospel of Jesus, even preached by Jesus Himself, caused some to turn further away from God, even at the same time as it saved others? Why? Well, it's in the explanation of this parable. Verse 14, the farmer sows the word. Just notice that. The seed is the word of God. As the word of God goes out, people respond differently. The parable really should be called the parable of the soils. It's about the hearers, not about the preacher, not about the seed. The preacher is just the person who shares the word. The word is fixed. It is given to us. It's not something that we have to modify or change or genetically engineer the crop to produce results. You just preach the Word. And as the Word goes out, it finds different sorts of soil. And so, verse 15, the first heart, the first type of heart that the Word goes into, some people are like seed along the path where the Word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. 
There are some people whose hearts are so hard that it's like the path through the middle of the field, just, just trodden down by the constant walking through. And any seed that lands on it, it's not going to go into fertile soil. It's just going to sit there until Satan can come and just go, and it's gone. A heart so hardened by the everyday crisscross of sin that there's no chance of that word being implanted. So hardened that there's no fear of what God may do. So hardened that there's no desire or love for the benefits that God offers. Impenetrable, unbelieving, God-hating, Christ-rejecting, hard ground. Is that you? I mean, maybe maybe you've sat in church, same spot in the pew every week, day after day, week after week, month after month, and you, you know that by the time you've left those doors, the word's gone. May God have mercy on you. Some people are like the seed along the path. Others, verse 16, like seed sown on rocky places. They hear the word... And they at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So you can imagine it, can't you? A, a, a thin layer of soil sitting on top of bedrock. And you plant the seed, and it starts to grow, but there's nowhere that it can go down. So it shoots up, it looks great. Wow, that plant is growing so fast. Look at the joy with which that person has accepted the Word of God and they're just so full on for the blessings of life that are going to come to them and they're just rejoicing in what they've heard and accepted and received. But there's no roots. There's no depth. Wow! Until trouble comes. Joy! Until there's pressure on their faith. You know, joy is not the distinguishing factor of true conversion. And don't get me wrong, Christians rejoice. We have much to rejoice in. But faith is the distinguishing factor of true conversion. Deep-seated trust in God that so often brings with it mourning over sin. Brings with it a recognition of how we have failed. And so pressure is applied on the faith of these people, trouble particularly because of the word and all of a sudden that plant shrivels and that person, they, they were here, they, they, they were so excited about Jesus but, but I haven't seen him for a month now, where, what, what happened? where did they go? What's... Peter says in 1 Peter that trials prove faith. That's why Christians so strangely rejoice in trials. Because they are the thing that allow us to look back and go, yes, the faith that God gifted me endured through that trial. There were roots to it. There were depth and substance and reality to this faith that God has gifted me. 
There's the soil that is like the path and the word is snatched. There's the soil that is the rocky place. Trouble, persecution comes and the word is gone. Still others, verse 18, like seed sown among thorns, they hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things come in and choke the word and make it unfruitful. There are people who are double-minded, or can we say double-hearted? Oh yes, I really want what Jesus offers. I, I want the, the salvation. I want the kingdom. I want the forgiveness. I want the eternity. I want the blessings that Jesus brings. But can I also keep my other things too, please? Do you, do you mind if I just hold on to my riches and, and my, my aspirations for success? And do, do you mind if I just... Is, is that okay, Jesus? Can I have you and the world? And the answer is no. You cannot serve two masters. Oh, I'll, I'll follow you, Jesus. I'll follow you, just, just not quite yet. Is that okay? I'll, I'll go and collect my inheritance first. Is that, is that, I'll, I'll go and, and, and marry a cow and buy a wife. Or, no, hang on, you get that one right, don't you? I'll go, and, I'll go and marry a wife and buy a cow. That's the story, isn't it? And after I've done that, then I'll come and follow you. Is that okay, Jesus? No. No. Leave everything behind. The things of this world are not compatible with following Jesus. You've got to, you've got to understand this. The gospel doesn't promise you what your unconverted heart wants. The gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't offer you what your sinful desires long for. It doesn't offer you what your corrupt, fallen, wretched heart wants. The gospel of Jesus will not give you the world and its riches alongside Jesus. When it comes to Christ, you have to let go of the world. You have to let go of yourself. Deny yourself, Jesus says. Deny all that you are, all that you possess, all that you deny, all that you desire. Deny even your family if you must. And come, pick up your cross and follow me. Come and have who you are reshaped by Jesus. Where's your heart? Because, gee, it's easy for us, for the cares of the world and the desire for riches to just keep creeping. Is it choking the word? But then there's good soil. Verse 20, others like seed sown on good soil. They hear the word, they accept it, and they produce an absolutely astonishing crop. 30 times, 60, even 100 times what was sown. What a return. Soil that produces a real harvest. The word is sown. And I take it then that the word is the harvest that comes forth. You sow wheat, you get wheat. You sow the word and the word just bursts forth, transforming the life of the person themselves transforming away from loving self and to loving God, away from pride and to humility, away from sin reigning in our lives and to righteousness reigning. But a harvest then that results in the word going forth that others 
might in turn hear it too. We become sowers. Four kinds of soil. See, as the word goes out, Jesus said, it will hit all four of those. So as we sow, we must expect that too. Did you notice in this parable, what we've seen so far, there's no command to make sure you're the right kind of soil. It's a very strange parable. There's no instruction that says, well, if you know yourself to be the rocky soil, make sure you get the hoe and get the rocks out and turn yourself into good soil and somehow... No. The only command is verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so can I say to you today, the word is being sown. You are a hearer. You are sitting there with the seed coming to your ears, you're hearing the word of God. What sort of soil are you? Start there at least. Start by being honest to yourself. It's a hard word, isn't it? Because perhaps the people that we love so dearly and we care for so much and we've spent so long praying over and preaching to, maybe they will turn out to be unproductive soil. Well, how are we supposed to respond to that knowledge? How are we supposed to respond to this parable? To knowing that different soil will respond differently. Now, I think this is where we need to look at the, the, uh, the, the rest of the parables that Jesus preached, the rest of these stories, to help us understand. <clears throat> and the first one is to say that you've got to make sure that you listen carefully and you respond rightly. Have a look down at verse 24, again, where Joe began this, uh, this morning for us. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And even more, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Has the Word of God landed in your heart in fruitful soil? Then may it burst forth and produce a harvest. Consider carefully what you hear today. But know... Verse 22, that whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. In other words, I take it that hearts will be revealed. What sort of soil you are, first and foremost, will be disclosed. Don't pretend, it's pointless. But if you are one who the seed has arrived in and fruit has been produced, then make sure that that harvest of the Word is indeed a harvest of the Word and you live it and you preach it. He said to them, do you bring a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? No, you put it on a stand. If you are fruitful, if you are the 30, the 60, the 100 fold, then make sure you live the Word and you preach the Word. But as we preach, we preach with the sure and certain confidence that it is God who does the work. See, if it depended upon me to save somebody, if it depended upon the sower 
to somehow get the plant to grow, we'd be in real trouble, wouldn't we? What does the sower do? Verse 26, the kingdom of God is like this, a man scatters seed on the ground and then night or day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. Though he doesn't know how, all by itself, the soil produces grain, the stalk, the head, the full kernel and then comes the harvest. We sow, but God gives the growth. What will happen with that seed in that soil is up to Him. And that should give us a lot of confidence. That should give us the ability to sleep at night, to be honest. Because it's not up to us to get every single conversation exactly right. And if I don't get every single conversation exactly right, then that's it, there's no hope. No! Make sure you're preaching. Be faithful in sowing the seed. But recognise God gives the growth. And do so in the sure confidence that God's kingdom will grow. God's people are out there. The good soil is out there and the seed will produce a crop in them. See verse 30, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? It's like a mustard seed, so small. It's the smallest seed you plant in the ground, yet when planted it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. Such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. Preach with the knowledge and the confidence that God will save his people. He will do that work. It may not be our time. It may require us to continue being faithful with one particular person all of our lives. He has his own timing. We don't know the sort of soil people are. We preach and God gives the growth. Does Jesus want to save everyone? Well, on one level, of course he does. You know John 3.16 as well as I do, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Of course God's heart is for the salvation of mankind. You might know Ezekiel 33.11. As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn! Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? God delights in saving people. It's His love that sent Jesus to the cross to save sinners. And yet, we must take to heart Jesus' teaching in Mark 4. That the gospel of Jesus comes in such a way that to those hearts that God has not prepared, it condemns rather than saves. That to those people, in fact, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the very stench of death. As we go out into our evangelism term, as we go out and preach and proclaim, as we just continue living as Christians... Seeking to make disciples, you need to know that you will encounter those sorts of soil. That you will encounter that reaction to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want you to go and I want you to go and preach with confidence. I want you to preach with a confidence that comes from knowing that it's God's work and not yours. Be faithful. 
learn tools, equip yourself to speak well. But please, please speak about Jesus. Have conversations, preach, go and stand on a soapbox at Ingleburn Fair. Whatever form it takes, speak about Jesus. Sow the seed, knowing that it's God's work. Preach with great comfort, knowing that God's kingdom will grow. It can be discouraging. I wonder how those 12 felt to see the crowds and the multitudes gathered around Jesus and yet so few of them when the chips were down, truly being followers of Jesus. It can be so discouraging at times. I've prayed for this person. I've preached to this person. I've, I, I just... Go with the comfort of knowing that like the mustard seed, God's kingdom will grow. Go and preach and pray. We have to be dependent upon God. We must utterly depend upon Him. And as you preach, know that there are those who will respond by turning even further from the gospel of the Lord Jesus and those in whom our great, loving and saving God will produce a harvest into eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognise that you are God and we are not. That to hear of the condemning effect that the gospel will have in some lives, Father, it's, it's hard. It makes us uncomfortable. And yet, Father, give us trust in you, in your goodness, in your purposes, in your plans. Help us to trust that you have it all in your hand. Make us bold sowers. Teach us to scatter the word wherever and however we can. That some of it might find that good soil, Father, that you have prepared beforehand and grow into a harvest of righteousness. We ask this, Father, for your glory. Amen.